Hello and welcome to another episode of Wanna Be Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. And today I have a new person in the business, kind of a newbie in bootstrapping. His name is Peter Levels. What's up, Peter? Everything good with What's you? What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, for taking the time. I think obviously everyone that is listening to to this knows Peter is kind of the person that started bootstrapping. We were just chatting about it uh, off the record, and he just said that now bootstrapping is kind of mainstream and everyone speaks about it. But when he first started, everyone was more into VC and startups and Shark Tank. And not a lot of people were actually speaking about bootstrapping. So he's the creator of Nomad List, Remote OK, Rebase.co, and uh, I guess another thousand cool projects. And uh, yeah, super excited to have a chat with you. And uh, I guess we can speak a little bit about uh, Rebase, about Portugal, about bootstrapping. I have a lot of questions. So super excited. Yeah, me too. I always ask this to, to the people I'm uh, interviewing to, in, to introduce themselves in their own words. If you don't mind, would you, would you do yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so uh, my name is Peter Levels. Uh, I'm originally from Holland, um, Amsterdam kind of. I wasn't born there, but I lived there a lot. And everybody knows Amsterdam, so it's easy place to say, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the and, city, man. It's such a cool city. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful, man. Especially in the summer, it's amazing. And... Uh, and so I make kind of like startups, but like not like really like billion dollar startups, but I mean, million dollar startups is kind of good. And they're uh, kind of indie, so I don't really raise funding for them. I just make it kind of myself. I, I write code, I design, I make the logo, I do the marketing, I do pretty much everything. I make the database, I make the code and um, and I made like a lot of projects, like over like 70 projects and a few became successful, like Nomad List uh, and Remote OK, um, and recently, like you said, Rebase. And most of my projects now are about kind of like remote work. Um, and it's kind of like my mission is to promote the freedom of global movement uh, that's enabled by remote work. And uh, yeah, that's kind of like what I, what I, you know, what I live for. Like that's what I want to do, and uh, that's what I did for the last, I guess almost like eight years now, I think. So why this uh, motto? Why why having this mission of allowing everyone to travel freely? I think it's it's something that, uh, like like when I grew up, I I didn't actually, I didn't travel like around the whole world. It was like the first time I, I really went outside. Like Europe was uh, in 2009. I mm -hmm. studied uh, business administration uh, in Amsterdam and they had a program, like an exchange program, like many people do these days. And mm -hmm. uh, and I went to Korea and I studied uh, in Seoul at Korea University. That's the name of the university. And um, and it was like life changing. I was like, wow, I'm on the other side of the world. And, you know, like everybody, I think I was like, I was like scared of the, of, you know, outside Europe and, and traveling and stuff and mo moving abroad. It was really scary. I was like, what was going to happen? Is it safe and stuff? Especially to a different continent, right? So oh, dude, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And and it was so strange. It was such a culture shock, like arriving. We we flew there with two Dutch uh, classmates, who uh, Hasse and Sam, and, uh, you know, still best friends. And we arrived there uh, at the airport, you know, and flying is already kind of interesting. But then like arriving in a place yeah. in the middle of the night 
taking the bus and we we had no idea about how to get to our hotel or our hostel i think it was even with at a shared like f- six people dorm and we were just in a random neighborhood in seoul and uh with neon lights everywhere you know like asia all these neon lights yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, just like in japan and we were so hungry and there was only like the street food so we eat these like rice cakes in red sauce and wow. It was like super spicy and we almost threw up because it was just burning our throat so much, <laughs> you know, and and then we ended up in some bar called the Sam bar because Sam means tree. And we, we, we started drinking and asking them if they could help us find our way to our home, you know, and they did. And, uh, you know, so we, we, we drank a lot there and, and then we ended up in our hostel that night. And I don't know, that first night was already like, this is so crazy. Other side of the world, you know, so much adventures yeah. and stuff and 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 that kind of expanded my whole view on like the world and everybody was really nice like everybody was so nice yeah. to us outside and europe is interesting because it's it's somehow like its own country like a big country because the culture is kind of similar right yeah for but sure the, the moment you go for instance to asia and, and my my only experience in india was actually in india and uh because when I when I moved to to Germany, I was I'm from Portugal, working in Germany for six years. I met a lot of people from India, and I met people from all over the world. So this was really really nice to get to know, you know, other cultures. But Asia and, and India, it's such a different way of living. You know, it's so so different that you either love it or you hate it. You know, and yeah. and it's yeah, it was super addictive, and I just want to go back because this was so interesting. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. It's also relative, right? Like if you if you grow up in Asia, then you have the same vibe that like that we have about Asia as with Europe. Like a lot of people here want, are like dreaming about Europe and right. and they're like obsessed about Europe. And I think it's kind of similar thing. It's just like it you grow up in a culture and then you go to another culture and it's just like it's so exhilarating because everything is different. Yeah. And, and it's it's you learn so much and you're kind of also like you're forced to you know, like go outside and, and talk to people and just to survive because you need to eat, right? Yeah, you need yeah, to yeah. somehow order food and or exactly. buy food and, and it it but it forced you out of your comfort zone. Are you the kind of person that likes to fit in or or to kind of bring your culture? You know, I feel that when you're traveling, there's two kinds of people, you know, people that love to be tourists and they say like, yeah, we are, we, we have this a lot in Portugal, by the way. And uh, sometimes with my family, this happens. I'm traveling with my family and we are in a beautiful beach and they say like, yeah, we also have this in Portugal, you know, try to bring the culture there. And then there's other people like me that are like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm a tourist and I want to just fit in and, and to learn from them. Wh- which kind of person are you? Well, it's difficult to not look like a tourist because I'm blonde and white. Yeah, yeah. And that's not people <laughs> yeah. in Asia, but uh no i think it's important that you that you try to uh you know match the culture the local culture a little bit like for example in asia you need to be much more polite and you need to be uh friendly and and to be talks talk softer because you know yeah. it's uh, it, like the, the closer you get to the united states of america the the higher the decibel of voice you know everywhere <laughs> you go you hear americans always like blah, 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 blah. It's just so loud. And and then Europe is somewhere in the middle, you know, and then Asia is just to speak softer, you know. So you need to match the culture and you, you need to be respectful. And and then, I mean, of course, you, you bring your own culture because that's that's you, you know. And um, and it's always kind of like a mix of, 
you know, with COVID, it's very different because it's hard to now meet people. But before COVID, it's it's like a mix of generally you hang with locals and you hang with, you know, other uh, foreigners in a place. Right. And um, there's exceptions to that. But there's also like like places like Korea are, don't have a lot of foreigners uh, living there. So you, you hang more with locals. Um, places like Bali, Chenggu, I mean, that's definitely like kind of like a resort town. So it's yeah, it's mostly foreigners living there, and uh, the restaurants are ran by locals. And you know, it's good the money flows to locals. It's just it's probably harder to hang with locals there because it's uh, it's more of a resort town. But yeah, yeah, I Good. mean, there's always a mix, and um, yeah, I mean, everybody should do what they want to do, and uh, you know, if you want to be a tourist, that's fine too. When when you go back to and visit your friends uh, back home people that didn't travel, do you see like that there is a difference in perspectives? Can you still identify with with your friends uh, back home? Yeah, I mean, uh, 100%. I mean, honestly, the friends I had when I graduated are very different than the friends I have now. Like when I graduated university and then, you know, started traveling uh, and living abroad are very different. And, and I still right. love those old friends. I don't talk to them a lot. I talk to the friends that kind of went the same way as me, like, you know, also went kind of like traveling and remote work. And um, I mean, I'd love to have a more diverse friend group, but it's, it is difficult because um, you change when you go abroad and, and, and people that stay in their own country also change. Right. And right. people become more set in their ways. And it's funny to see that normally, uh, this is my experience as an expat. The first like one or two years, it seems that every time you go back home, nothing changed and you changed yeah. so much. Yeah. But then after like three, four years, uh, I started noticing this. It, it means that it seems that like they moved on. They have yeah. their life. And and then I feel and it, it's, it's an interesting thing now that I that I returned because I have a lot of friends that I met as an expat and I really identify myself with them. And now I'm back. And my friends here, it's hard to reconnect, um, even though I I like them. But no, it really sucks because you had you had a lot of shared history, and and there's nothing negative about them. There's also neg nothing negative about us, and and I think it's natural that the people in your life change throughout your life, and it's not yeah. a bad thing. It's just it's it's a real challenge to have a very diverse friend group and. Like, honestly, I think the people that go abroad the first time and or go nomad and stuff, like the first two, three years, they're like insufferable. That's the word. Like they cannot stop talking about, oh, my God, yeah. everything's amazing abroad. And, you know, oh, my God, I went to Asia and I went to Latin America and blah, blah, blah. So that's really annoying for people yes. to stay at home. <laughs> But then it's also annoying because the, you know, I do think nomads and people abroad, they, they get over it. And they're like, okay, it's just it's not better or worse, just like different. It's a different and lifestyle, that, yeah. Yeah, and that, but I, d I do feel like maybe the people that stay at home, they do get threatened by if you make a different life choice than them right. because they want to have a cognitive kind of confirmation that they made the right choice. Ah. Because if they made the wrong choice for them, you know, um, mm -hmm. like if things work out for you abroad, And they think they also could have done it, then maybe they made the wrong yeah. choice. So they think they're missing out. Yeah. So then the easy way is to attack it. And that's what I do see. Like people are like, like, especially like, um, you know, I would say 2014, 2015, I had that a lot. 
where I would talk to people in Amsterdam at home when I was, you know, flying back and they were like, Peter, this doesn't work. You cannot do this. Like, yeah. you know, people need community. You need roots. You need to be in one place. Um, and, you know, remote work doesn't work. You need, you need a, a, an office. You need people, yeah. colleagues and stuff and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, kind of, but also, I mean, all my friends were doing it differently and, you know, yeah. it's going well, we're, we're working remotely or we're building companies and it's, you know, it wasn't going extremely well, but it was, we were making our own money from it, you know, and it was going okay, you know, and then now with COVID, everything changed because the remote work is mainstream, you know, Airbnb CEO, Brian Chesky just tweeted like, uh, we're all going to become digital nomads and suddenly it's mainstream. And, and there's a certain vengeance aspect to that. Like, look, I was right, but also there's the, 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 the realization, I think, that you should be open for different ideas, but you shouldn't think that your lifestyle or, you know, is better or their lifestyle is worse. I think it's good to respect everybody's lifestyle and, 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 and I guess, learn about it. And you know. What did your family say when you started this life of living the digital nomad? Like, they first of all, did they want you to be an entrepreneur, full-time an entrepreneur, or were they worried that like, okay, why don't you just get a job and, and get on with yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, dude, my parents are amazing. Like my mom and dad are like, now I, I realize more and more they're really amazing because the only thing they always said was like, you know, Pete, as long as you're happy, you know, and I guess also don't hurt other people, then we're happy for you, you know, just do whatever makes you happy. And they never told me what to do. Are they also entrepreneurs? No, no. Uh, my dad's a doctor and my mom is a lawyer, but she, she didn't really work. She just raised kids. My dad always wanted to become a filmer. Uh, they grew up really poor. And uh, this was after the war in World War II. So he was mm -hmm. born just after that, like uh, you know, 1948. And, you know, the city he was in, Rotterdam, was completely flat, bombed by the Germans, was gone. And it was the whole country was in ruins after the war and everybody was poor. So my grandmother told my dad like you know my, my dad was like I i'm gonna go to film school i want to become a film director and my grandmother was like no you're not going to become film director you're going to become a doctor so this was i think you see this a lot with uh families in asia also where mm -hmm. the parents tell you what you need to become doctor lawyer or something so i mean everywhere no in portugal is the same everyone yeah. wants you to become a lawyer or a doctor because they make yeah. money Exactly, yeah. It, or a politician. A way, or, yeah, it's a way out, you know. And uh, so it was really, it, it was kind of sucked because he wanted to be, and he, he did he did a lot of film and now he's retired and he studies film history and stuff and he's doing a PhD in film history. Amazing. Like, uh, wow. Do you think you are an inspiration for him? No, I think he's an inspiration for me and my parents are because um, he, well, I know what you mean. He, he always told us to do whatever we wanted to do because uh, he was forced to become doctor, right? And right. that was a big lesson for me. Like, you know, don't do necessary. I mean, this is also a point of luxury because if you grow up uh, middle class or upper middle class, then, uh, and Holland doesn't really have poverty. I mean, honestly, like the country has a lot of social welfare systems. Mm -hmm. So most of the country is middle class, which is really good. Um, but my point is like, uh, I had the opportunity because I like, if I was his generation, my mom would have, or my dad would have told me like, you need to become a doctor or lawyer. So I was the second generation of that, that right. cycle. And then you have the opportunity to become, you know, whatever you want. Uh, you can also become very lazy, I guess, but. 
So where, where did the inspiration come from to become an entrepreneur? Where were your idols? Man, so I come from music. Like I was, I was, first I was doing like graphic design when I was like 12 years old on the computer, like Photoshop stuff and art, okay. like visual <laughs> art. And I was in all these online communities. Like one, one was called Now Go Create. The other one was called Yehu Ray. I think Yehu Ray still exists. This was like early, early internet, like 2003 or something. Yeah. Way back. And and we'd always like download like illegal software. We download like Photoshop, you know, like the Wares websites. Mm-hmm. And we download Photoshop. We download like uh, you know Auto Premiere to make video like After Effects. I made a lot of graphics like that, video graphics. I wanted to become really good at this art stuff. And and then I went to a festival in my hometown, like annual festival, the Vidaagse Festival for this big event we have. And there was a guy with a laptop in this little like really small show. There was really big shows, music shows, all these really small shows. And this guy was doing like glitch music, like <laughs> like his IDM, intelligent dance music, like very pretentious term. Anyway, he had a laptop and he was making music. I was like, wow, I have a computer. So I went back around the stage kind of, and I looked at his laptop, like which was the software. And then my brother was like, oh, that's Reason. So I downloaded this program, Reason. Of course, I downloaded it illegally. Didn't have money. <laughs> And I started making music and then first I made IDM and then I made drum and bass music. And then I started, you know, DJing and, and my own songs in Holland. And I started doing uh, my own, like my own shows and stuff. And mm-hmm. I even played in, in UK. I went on the radio in, in UK on the BBC. I was playlisted with my music and it was going really well. And uh, but mostly I learned from the making my own CD because everybody so making wanted... your own music, right? Like you didn't do remixes. No, I made my own music. music. Yeah, that was the special thing. Because most people just DJ. I made my own songs. So and... that's what I find really interesting already. Because you know, I really love music as well. I'm I'm not a musician, but you know, I play the guitar, and I I actually dev- making an album, but just for fun, you know. Yeah. But I, I find it as the ultimate um, creative art. Like I don't know. I I feel that the same with coding. I started coding. Because I I found a way to transform my ideas into reality with just a laptop. And it's kind of the same with the guitar. I mean, you can get your thoughts into a song that makes sense and touch people. And, you know, it's really a, a great way to, to explore your creativity. Is that yeah. why you like music so much too? Well, I mean, my, my, da- my dad is also very creative and he always supported us to, to make all the stuff on the... Like, all the computer stuff was new, but he was... He was smart enough to think like, okay, this is the future. So let these kids play in the computer a lot, make whatever they want. Like my brother uh, made 3D uh, models, 3D animation with 3D Studio Max uh, back then, you know, when he was like a mm-hmm. teenager. And my other brother was doing more like hardware stuff, like electronics and stuff. But we were always like creating. And my dad and my mom always supported us to not go, like we couldn't ask for like PlayStation or something. But we could ask for like painting tools or, you know, a guitar or something like they, they really, I think, purposely pushed us towards creative right. tools to use. And I mean, I would do the same thing. And um, but yeah, of course, music. And But every expression of creativity is, is just pure and magical. And, you know, if it's visual art, graphic design, music or writing even or websites, I think they're like entrepreneurship, I think this is the big thing people not in entrepreneurship and not in business, they really misunderstand. Like entrepreneurship is way closer to creativity and arts yeah. than to corporate big business. 
like I studied business and I so I studied corporate stuff. Yeah. You did an MBA, right? So so I, my bachelor's was like business administration and uh, my master's was entrepreneurship. So I learned kind of both things. And I think entrepreneurship is way closer to creativity and, and expression uh, than to big corporate business because business is about like, you know, wearing suits and it's like management and it's like, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's also interesting in its own way, but it's more like, like MBA theory comes from the military actually comes from 1950 U.S. military management uh, mm-hmm. theory. And, and and entrepreneurship comes from creativity, from arts, you know? It's it's completely right. different. And Yeah, and you know, I've been trying to find, with all the interviews I've done, I'm trying to kind of find what is an entrepreneur, you know, what is the core of being an entrepreneur. And one thing that I've noticed is that most of the people I interviewed is they want to create their own thing and and they might be really happy with the company that that they are working for but the only problem that people normally find and I, and I say this all the time is that it's not their company is no and and if you if you compare it with let's say an artist a painter uh, i mean there's you can clearly distinguish the difference between painting someone else's painting right someone tells you to paint something you just do it or painting your own art yeah. And it's exactly the same for entrepreneur. I mean, you can have some fun working for others in the project that you believe in, but it's completely different than making your own company, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think a part of it has to do with autonomy. Like autonomy is a is a word we don't use enough, enough I think. Um, autonomy, my friend Jelmer de Boer, he's a Dutch uh, writer, also kind of makes startups now, but he writes a lot about autonomy. And mm-hmm. the concept is that having the power over your own decisions it doesn't necessarily mean that you, that you're like egoistic or something it means that you have your own authority over your own decisions and you choose yeah and if you choose to to do things for other people that's that's also autonomy you know what i mean it's like it's not egoistic it's more like you said you your have own the control yeah you, you have, have the control for your own life yeah, yeah and of course this is you know this all comes down to philosophy like this is a choice that probably has a lot to do with uh, individualism, mm-hmm. hyper-individualism, you know. And psychology too, though, because I, I feel that people, there are people that are not comfortable with taking their own decisions so much and they prefer, you know, being guided. And then there's people that like the responsibility of uh, of taking their own lives in their own hands or or even like being a leader. Well, I've, I've, I That's think right. it's... I mean, this is a controversial opinion, but if you look at kids, like when they grow up, how yeah. they're playing like creatively with, with like their toys and their drawing, like every kid's drawing always, right? They're really creative and they're really autonomous and they are very excited about a lot of stuff. And I feel that um, the education system doesn't give you the, hmm. they, 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 I mean, many people say this, but they, they remove this autonomy and this creativity out of kids. Right. At a very early age, like no, you did it wrong. You know, no, that's not how you draw a tree. Yeah. What if you draw a tree in a more interesting way? I mean, it's 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 like you have to follow by the rules, and rules are of course they decimate creativity because mm-hmm. you know the best creativity is unbound. It's like you know what I mean. It's yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think yeah, we are definitely getting very philosophical here, but I I would also argue that. To live in a community, you need the leaders and the creators, and then you you need the people that also kind of fall in line. So I don't know if this is not just a survival 
thing, you know, when they say, no, this is not how we do it. We do it like this. And then I think this is, I think, I think you make an assumption that I don't know if it's, if it's true necessarily, because you make an assumption based on this, this industrialist capitalist hierarchy of like a, a percentage of top leaders and then some followers and stuff. I, I don't think this is necessarily, um, it's just how we run things now. But if you look at the mm -hmm. future, this is not necessarily how we run things in the future. Like, look at right. the rise of crypto and decentralization and stuff where, and again, autonomy over your own, you know, accounts, your money and stuff, accounts that cannot get frozen. I think the, the trend is not towards hierarchy. The trend is towards um, that more people have a voice. Look at, look at like YouTubers now that get more views than media channels. Right. Media channels where is it more people that have a voice or different people that have a voice, right? I don't know because now if you are a YouTuber, you can get a voice, and maybe before you couldn't. But still, it doesn't mean that everyone can have a voice because not everyone can become a YouTuber. No, everybody can have a voice because everybody can upload a video on YouTube. Right, but it doesn't mean that people will listen to it. True, but you have to define what it means. What it means having a voice, like before, you couldn't even get on the TV. You know, right. it was like yeah. it was a gatekeeper, and now it's all open. I think mm -hmm. that's that's less. The hierarchy. potential is there, right? Yeah, I mean, having people listen to what you say—that's that's never guaranteed. That shouldn't mm -hmm. be guaranteed, but you should be able to have a voice. And but yeah, I I I, I think we are going away from hierarchical structures, not towards it. Mm -hmm. I think that's. Yeah. A, and if you look at, I mean, of course, you're right. History is full of hierarchical structures. Like, look before uh, looking at like 12th century or something like the feudalism, you know, pe people who own the land and rent it out and stuff. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely of old time, I guess you're right, but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is a very interesting topic. I, I totally agree with you, but you know, I, I tend always to question everything and understand if the reason why we are doing it in a certain way, is it the right or wrong? But in the end, yeah. I mean, there's no there's no right or wrong, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's an interesting um, topic. Yeah, going back a little bit to entrepreneurship, even though I, I would speak about this for hours, you you had your uh, masters in business, but you also mentioned quite often that you learn most of your things by doing. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm very curious about what have you actually learned from your studies that it would be really hard for you to learn by just doing. Great question. I think, uh, so I did my bachelor's in business and my master's in entrepreneurship. And my bachelor's, I, like I tweeted this whole MBA thread some years ago with everything I learned, all the theory and stuff. And the business theory is interesting, but very limited because it's, it's all these conceptual frameworks, like orders, five forces and stuff. It's like these, these people who like, okay, I think we should categorize things in this way, you know? And you cannot test these things. This is social studies. You right. cannot test them scientifically like, like you can test with biology or chemistry. So it's all quite subjective. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think basic theory, like, 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 I think it's like barriers to entry, like being in a market with high barriers to entry, you know, so it's hard for competitors to get in. You need to differentiate, differ, differentiate as, a, as a company, as a product. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff is kind of interesting. So these are concepts that you learn in your studies and uh, are crucial for for building your products as well, well. I don't even think crucial I think honestly I don't if if I was 18 I wouldn't go to university like I wouldn't I would just skip it okay. now and really? this was 
this is, I mean, different than two years ago, I think, but now things are changing so fast. Like, I think the only reason to go to university is to uh, show that you have the discipline to sit through like four years of coursework and write mm-hmm. a master's thesis or something or bachelor's thesis and show that you have the discipline. I think it's a discipline test. But I just don't think the connection, I think the world's changing so fast now that there's no connection necessarily, especially with social studies like business. There's no connection with the current yeah. reality of the world and what you learn in school. It's just all True. outdated within, you know, a month. So you think you could have had the same success you you had with your projects without going through uh, the, your studies? I think yes. When I talk with my dad about it, he's always like, "No, well, Pete, you learned a lot of integral academic fundamentals, blah blah." And I'm like, because <laughs> uh, he's really about this academic, but I'm like. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I Yeah, it's hard now because you, you went through it, right? Like you, you would need to, to find examples of people that didn't go through it. Well, I, I know from my peers, like it's always good to compare yourself to your peers, like my classmates yeah. and stuff. And most people didn't start a company. And right. most people just went to become employees and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, man, the so amount hard, of stuff I learned like in, in the reality and practical from doing things in the last like eight years um w- would be nothing bad against my university i think it's just all universities but something yeah. like a thousand times more than the stuff i learned in university yeah, yeah. i mean i know it's an unpopular opinion but yeah no I, well i totally agree and uh, in the end of course is one person that decided that for you to be called an engineer you need to study these subjects but yeah. in reality you need to learn much more Right or 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 just different things depends also what kind of engineer you want to become and so on. Hundred percent. But the basis, I, yeah. you know, the basis, and uh, you get the time also to go in depth into things that might not be super relevant, but in it's also important to know, right? Like let's say mathematics, you you probably don't use mathematics in your uh, daily business, but knowing it, it it's it's also important somehow because. Um, it trains your mind to maybe think in a different way. You know yeah, I mean? I mean, obviously, like, yeah, like I, I had, I mean, I had a lot of problems with mathematics because <laughs> I'm not good at it. So uh, I think I got kicked out of high school for math, for my mathematics uh, <laughs> grades was too low. And I had to get back into university by doing all these tests uh, for statistics and mathematics. And I studied all summer for months in the attic of my parents' house, uh, just learning this math stuff was so difficult but um but then honestly no it was just very difficult for me and Mm -hmm. like dude integrals like the (laughs) formulas and integrals are insane you need to they're insane yeah you need to like (laughs) you need to take a formula and then expand it into what it was like wow it's so difficult but i barely use that like I mm-hmm. only like in my coding, I I I do plus I sum formal variables and I, right. I mean I do sometimes like statistical tests, but that's just easy stuff. You just search how it works. You install a library like p test, t test, mm. and stuff. Significance, but I yeah, mean, that's but important. I, well. I think again, it's more about discipline. It's like showing that you can go through it. I think the social part of university is very important, like meeting people, uh, dating, going on dates and stuff, uh, mm-hmm. parties. It's very important. It's extremely important, I think. Yeah. But if you were, yeah. if you're 18 now, like, and I'm keep meeting more and more of these people that are 18 and they just skip university and just go nomad. And I think I would do that. I would go nomad, 
uh, start businesses and stuff, try a lot of stuff. You know, that's like the most exciting thing you can do now with your life. And it's probably right now, it's probably as interesting and probably more interesting than university. I wouldn't say this two years ago, but things have changed rapidly. I mean, I, I, yeah, I totally understand and I see your point. I also think that um, people shouldn't rush too much to start their own company. And I, and I just now someone was talking with me on Twitter and asking, like, I'm 18. I need to start my company right now. Otherwise, yeah, I'm losing no. time. I'm like, what? No, that's <laughs> you know, there's so much to learn. And uh, I mean, I don't think that there's a need for uh, for that stress, right? Just out of the bat. No, but I think it's natural. Like, I, I, I had to stress, like, in my 20s. And it, it peaked at like 27 or something where I just had mental breakdown. I mean, it's also why I started traveling, but like just this stress of like, oh my God, I'm going to be 30. I'm not successful, blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. you know, I think becoming successful and then therapy helps a lot with that. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with this? You know, getting 30 and not being successful. Like, how did you overcome that? It's so, so relative successful, right? Because, like, you, you know, life is already great. But, but no, but, I mean, when you're 27, 26, and you're, you know, from Holland, and you're, like, middle-class kid, and you, and your goal, your dream is to do startup and stuff, and then, of course, your definition of success is then, you know, getting a successful startup. But... Right. Um, but what is a successful startup? It's, like, a million? Is it... Well, exactly. It's, the definition is very vague, right? So, so that's that's why you also go into therapy. Like, what does what does that mean? What does it mean success for you? And 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 is this something crucial that people should define before starting? No, you just go with the flow. But I think it's natural that people in late twenties have these these breakdowns. Yeah, you know, it's everybody has it. Like, it's called Saturn return, where the planet Saturn returns to the same place it was when you were born. I mean, I don't believe in mm -hmm. astrology, but that's how they call it. And it usually happens after you graduate and you're like, wow, is this it? Is this my life? I have a job now. Is this it? Am I going to, like, I'm almost free. I'm going to die, you know, in 50 years. Is this what I'm going to do, you know? And after 30, you become much more chilled. At least I had that. And also with my business now doing well, it really helps to become more chill. And um, yeah, like, I don't need to impress people. I don't need to, I can be very autonomous. I, I'm much more relaxed. Like I was very yeah. not relaxed, you know. I mean, it's still it's stupid stories of Facebook and so on, where people are like, "Oh, look at him! He created unicorn with 22." Yeah. And and you only hear about this because it's the survivor bias, right? So you're like, "Oh my God, what am I doing?" Like yeah, these yeah, people yeah. are so famous. <laughs> yeah, and and the odds of you starting a billion-dollar company are are so small. Yeah, and but the yeah. odds of you starting like that's a good bridge towards indie, but like the mm -hmm. odds of you starting a million dollar company are are very reasonable, you know, absolutely right. reasonable, absolutely possible. Because a million dollar company, what does that mean? It means you know five to ten x valuation of revenue. So mm -hmm. a million dollar, what's that? That's two hundred k or hundred k a year. That's completely in in reach, you know, right? To, to make right. A, a little app or startup or product or website. So I mean. Okay, so let, let's get into that because, you know, it seems to be in reach because you see people doing it. But for me, you know, uh, a bootstrapper that started this seven seven months ago and I'm making like less than 100 bucks a month, 
Mm. You know, it seems very, very far. And I, I was a software developer before and I was making a good salary, especially in Germany. And now for me, it seems impossible to get to this salary as, as a bootstrapper, even though it's like my purpose and I, I totally love it. What, what were you making in yeah. Germany before? Uh, 60K, right? Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, tax high. But like, that's also the problem because the longer you wait, it's called golden handcuffs, right? The longer you wait, the, the higher your salary becomes and the harder it is to leave. Because make like when you quit and you make your own money, it's much harder to make 5K with your own business than to do it as an employee, right? So right. imagine you make 10K. It's you, It will take years to get to 10K with a startup, you know? So mm-hmm. it just gets harder and harder to work for yourself. Yeah. So... And this is actually one of the questions I had here. What should one do? Like, should you start something as a sidekick and still have your job? Or should you just like go all in? No, I think 100% sidekick. I mean, I did the same thing. So I did my music stuff and then I started uploading it to YouTube and I um, accidentally built a business there. I became like one of the biggest electronic music channels networks on YouTube back in 2008, (laughs) 2009, 2010. Because nobody else was uploading music on YouTube, and uh, I was one of the first. And I got all the big DJs and artists on my channel uh, in drum right. bass, house, and a lot of other genres. And um, I mean, but if you if you're making music, then you were already an entrepreneur, right? Like, I mean, well, well the, the thing was, I was making money with YouTube because not just my own music, but also other artists came on. I was making money with, you know, ads. So my point is, like, I was making a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar, sometimes eight thousand dollars per month. Mm-hmm. And this gave me a side gig. Uh, this, sorry, this gave me a main gig so I could do side gigs. So I could do, right. you know, go travel after studying. Because uh, this YouTube channel was during my study days. And, and I, when I graduated, I was like, my, my friend Hasse, the guy from Korea, the Dutch guy, he was like, you can also do this remotely on the other side of the world. Why don't you go travel with your laptop and just make these mm-hmm. YouTube videos? Because you make money anyway. I'm like, cool, I'll do it. <laughs> but the point was, I had money flowing in already. And that gave me like, right. you know... It, I, I left in April 2013 when traveling and um, the mon- the first money I made was, you know, uh, August 2014 or something. So it took mm-hmm. like over a year yeah, to but, uh, get to any money. I think you, you definitely need to have some savings, right? Like, so that's what I've done. I got some savings. I'm actually getting unemployment money from Germany, which is amazing. It's oh, really, that's nice. Yeah. It's really nice. So, but I still, you know, quit any job. So I, I still add my savings. I have this money coming in, but I'm doing hundred percent because it's so much work. Like it's so much things that you need to learn so much things you need to try that I cannot imagine how people can do this and still have like an eight hours or nine hours job on the side. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's life. Life is sacrifice, you know, and entrepreneurship is sacrifice. So if you want to do entrepreneurship, you need to sacrifice a lot of things like, you know, um, it, mm-hmm. This is again. This is the barrier to entry. If it would be easy to do it, everybody would be doing it. Everybody mm-hmm. would be successful at it. So, it's. I think entrepreneurship is one of the hardest things to do in life. I think it's you know this is maybe biased, but I think it comes close to like definitely in the professional a, life. I would say yeah, I, I, like being an Olympic professional athlete is also really hard, and I think it's very similar. It's, it's. Mm. It takes so much of you, especially in the beginning when things don't work. And it's emotionally so 
draining, exhausting yeah. that yeah. nothing that you do works nothing you know and uh, by the way same with artists like it's the same again it's the same thing you make all this music and nobody likes it like <laughs> for years I mean, uh, for me it. being an artist is being an entrepreneur it, it's yeah it's like that's, again similar. it's the same thing right yeah. so but the, all the other things like a normal job it's so different because it's not well it's exhausting in a very different way but it's not exhausting in that you know nobody uh pays you money like they you, you immediately get you know two thousand dollars a month you get paid yeah, yeah, your salary yeah. from day yeah. one you know it's so different and that's why I'd say the earlier the earlier you can get into entrepreneurship or yeah. becoming an artist or whatever, the better because you get, you get so used, used to, to yeah, yeah. golden handcuffs again, you know. Mm -hmm. and, Interesting, I didn't um, know that concept. But but I I mean I, not to uh, judge your personal personal choices, but I would recommend other people to you know not not quit their job and go live on savings. Mm -hmm. I would because that gives you a limited runway. I yeah. would you know maybe work part time or something and. Mm -hmm. I know it's hard, but you, and you need to sacrifice. So, you know, uh, when I did it, I was single. You know, I didn't have a girlfriend mm -hmm. uh, much of the time. So I, I didn't have kids, for example. So my point is, like, it doesn't... It, there was a lot of time. Like, in university, there was a lot of time yeah. to work on stuff, for example. University is a great time to work on stuff because, you know, you barely need to be present at these classes. Like, I would yeah. let my classmates sign for me so I didn't have to go to classes. <laughs> and you have a lot of time to work on stuff. So, yeah, you know, that or having a main gig and then working on the side, I think is recommendable because mm -hmm. you don't want to run out of money and then you have to go back and it's just depressing. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm kind of in that position as well, or I might be in the future that I will have to go back, but I still think it was worth it to be honest. I've, I've learned a lot and uh, not having a gig and having to uh, rely on, uh, on yourself only. I don't know. Mm. It's, it's a different perspective. Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this theory that the Vikings would burn their ships before invading yeah, exactly. a new land. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I, I understand it doesn't work for everyone, but if you have some savings, at least for me, it worked. I, I also obviously agree with what you have to say. And well, I mean, really you have you on. have unemployment money. That's re that's pretty much the main thing. Yeah, you have, yeah, yeah. True, I, true, how true. much is that? What you get? It's a lot. It's a thousand seven hundred. Okay, perfect. Then you don't need main gig. Then you made the perfect true, choice. True, true. You don't need to go back. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is enough money to live on. And uh, also the nomad thing ties into this. Like it, it is a really good, a really good trick is to, to use this uh, freedom to go live in a cheap place, you know, like mm -hmm. move to somewhere where it's affordable. It could be in your own country, move somewhere like more rural, small town, because most of the day you're going to sit inside anyway on your computer. So why do you need to live in Berlin or in Amsterdam, you know, when you can live true. in somewhere small, true, true, true. you can save a lot. You can get... Like an Amsterdam rent would be probably fifteen hundred euros a month now, Amsterdam or maybe two thousand. Absurd, yeah, mm -hmm. absurd. But and but then a small town could maybe be two hundred, right, or three hundred. Wow. So that would difference. that would five x your runway. So you yeah. could or something. So that kind of stuff is interesting, and that's also what I did by with nomading. Like like back then, I went to Chiang Mai where I rented a hotel room with like I talked to the manager. I think I paid like two hundred a month for a hotel room, just very small with the bed. And mm. and the food was like, and it was like 50 cents or something for a rice and chicken, you know, or, or $1. And uh, yeah, my spending, yeah, my yeah. spending was quite low. And that gave me, uh, yeah, it gave me a lot of runway to work on stuff. Yeah. 
yeah definitely if you get that uh, possibility i think it's it's totally worth it and if you are willing to do it i think some people might not be but yeah uh, it's all sacrifice man life is sacrifice yeah. like you want one thing you won't get the other thing going back to to rebase because it's also a bit connected with this right like the possibility of uh helping people to move to different destinations um yeah. so how how did the, this idea came to be yeah so really interesting so uh bef before covid started this was like december 2019 i was in chiang mai with uh like daniel uh john from ghost daniel's my server guy like andre andre azimov the indie maker guy um mm. A lot of my Mark from Battlelist and Whip, like a lot of these these kind of famous indie people, and a lot of my friends, and a lot of nomads, and uh, we were all in Chiang Mai, and um, and then COVID hit, and I think we flew to we flew to Malaysia, went to Penang, and we were in Penang, and uh, COVID was in China, and was starting to spread to Malaysia, to Thailand, and we didn't really understand was this going to be big or small, was this like nothing? People immediately started wearing masks in Asia, it was really good. Mm -hmm. um and i asked twitter like should i fly home like what if this thing because it went exponential what if this thing gets worse in asia maybe escape to europe right and everyone's like yeah go to europe now so i flew home uh around you know early february and um i went quarantine immediately i went to the airport hotel in amsterdam and i went there for like 10 days and everybody was laughing at me like my parents were laughing at me my friends were laughing at me like, "Why would you quarantine?" Like, man, this Are was you voluntarily. You you didn't. Yeah, this was this was this quarantine didn't exist. This was nothing. <laughs> and we were on Telegram groups with. We knew everything. We were like, there was so much information that wasn't on mainstream. It took the delay from our Telegram groups about COVID and to the mainstream media was like four months. It was insane, Whoa. or three months. Well, which or groups are those? Just like friend groups, and then there was like specific like COVID groups. Everybody already knew. What was going to happen with COVID on Telegram in you know January 26? In Asia? No, worldwide. We already knew worldwide. what was going to happen. Yeah, because okay. you could look at the statistics. It was a, it was already scientists studying everything. Mm -hmm. Anyway, my point is like like back then nobody knew anything. So I flew back. I was in the quarantine hotel, and it's in the airport hotel normally, voluntarily quarantining. Um, then I went to my parents' house, and I stayed there. I, I started buying food. I bought like a thousand euros of food at the big uh, supermarket because yeah. we didn't know if this was going to be a crazy pandemic killing everybody or it was like, well, it turned out to be pretty yeah. bad, but still. Um, yeah, I, so did I, the, I did the same. Did you also buy toilet paper? <laughs> no, no toilet paper. I stocked up my food like like something like February 2 or something and my friends also did and, uh, and I was wearing a mask. There was a guy who coughed at me because I was wearing a mask you know, February 5 in the supermarket because this was uh, all before everything. In, in, dude, in Netherlands, people really, it was really hard to convince people to wear a mask. I've been there. Uh, oh, yes. And, and no one was wearing a mask, even in, no, in horrible. the public It's like, no, what is I mean, this? Dutch people, Dutch people are, are a very interesting group of people. <laughs> but it, it took nine months for the Dutch CDC to director, who's an idiot, to admit like, okay, masks work. Like he said, don't wear masks. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, let's skip to the stuff. So I was in Holland <laughs> for uh, like six months, um, you know, close to my parents. It was also, I wanted to be near my parents because this COVID was especially more vulnerable to older people, right? 
Do I want it to be closed in case something happened? And and I was also just paranoid. I, I was scared that it, it would get to me as well. Uh, and then after six months, um, Mark and me left Holland. Mark was also back home. Mark from WIP, Battlelist, Indie Maker. Mm-hmm. And we went traveling. We went to Berlin and Prague. Because I was getting really depressed. I was feeling really anxious. I had a long-term relationship. Uh, and she was in Korea and I was in Holland. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like not going well because we were uh, f- far apart and we ended up breaking up after. But uh, it was all very depressing and uh, mm-hmm. psychologically exhausting. And uh, for everybody, right? It was like the whole COVID lockdown Yeah, stuff. definitely. So I started traveling with Mark, started feeling better again. Um, and then on Nomad List, Lisbon was starting to rank really high. And mm-hmm. so Mark and we were like, okay, let's fly to, let's fly to Portugal. And we ended up living there for like, I think, eight months or something. Really? From like September to April, and um, in, in Lisbon, you lived in Lisbon City. N- I lived in a coastal town in Irisera, and ah, uh, yeah. but I was in Lisbon like many times because there was like, uh, like Lisbon was bustling and a lot of cool people, and Irisera was really chill because of COVID, because you know it was outside air. Uh, you could go for walks, like Mark and me would go for walks a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was kind of covid safe and stuff and it was in nature it, it is said it's super nice i really like it too yeah, yeah. it's it's magical place it was absolutely changed my life that place and um yeah the the sunlight and the, the air like we we started looking so good in the mirror like like our skin was glowing yeah. and it's there's something about it's so healthy to live there i don't know what it is but the <laughs> sea salt maybe but we felt so good yeah. We invited friends over and they, they were the same. They they came from this psychologically stressed, depressed vibe from COVID and then being in Eresera and, and going for walks and, you know, eating nice food and seeing the ocean and, and surfing as well. And uh, so we ended up there and, and I kept talking to people like uh, foreigners there also, like nomads. And they kept saying like, yeah, I'm now resident in Portugal. And I'm like, what does it mean? They're like, well, uh, I moved here and... There's a lot of benefits for foreigners to move here. And I was like, okay, interesting. But I wasn't really like that interested. But it kept coming up. And then I was looking for a place to live like as a base, like also for taxes because uh, I have a company, but I also need to be like, if you're nomad, you you cannot just, you need like a legal place to have a bank account, right. you know, and to yeah. like, yeah, spend money and stuff. And uh so I was like, okay, this kind of makes sense for me so, to rest so in Portugal. This actually, a lot of people ask me this. So w- what is the best legal setup for a nomad? So you need to have a base and then you pay taxes in that country. Is that it? Yeah. So it's really, I think you need to talk to a lawyer. It's really personal, your own situation. But the, the point is, you, if you live somewhere over six months, you need to pay tax there. That's the concept. That's the most important concept. So, uh. um, And if you don't live anywhere over six months then there's an international law that usually it falls back to your citizenship country. Right. So if you are, you know, German and you German citizen, which is different than resident. So citizen is where you're born, kind of where your passport is. Right. And resident is where you're registered. Okay. Um, so if you're German citizen and you fly around the world and you live nowhere and everywhere, then uh, generally you're still taxable in Germany because it's a kind of fallback rule. Got it. Okay. But if you move to Portugal and you're there, you know, you, you register as a resident, you're still German citizen, but you res- register in Portugal. And generally, if you're there six months in a year, 
now you are a Portuguese resident and a Portuguese taxpayer and Germany doesn't care right. anymore as long as you don't have doing you're not making money in Germany. So but this is very like a minefield. You need to really right. do it properly. And Portugal is very beneficial because it gives you a lot of benefits, uh, tax benefits, but also they're very pro foreigner. The government wants to attract foreigners. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're they're like waiting with open arms to attract foreigners. Uh, right. There's no tax on crypto right now. That's, for example, interesting. Yeah. And, and one thing that I also didn't know, there's no tax on foreign income. Really? Like you can make money from uh, outside Portugal and then there's no tax on it? So there's specific cases. So again, I'm not a lawyer and that's why I cannot disclose any legal information ah, right. about this stuff. But, yeah, yeah. but there's, uh, you need to check your own personal situation, but there's specific cases where uh, Portugal uh, wants to attract foreigners that have, for example, uh, retirement uh, money or they have savings right. <laughs> or they have uh, foreign dividends, for example, which yeah. are then not taxed for 10 years. And the reason Portugal does this is because they want to attract foreigners to spend money in their country. So mm. imagine your Portugal, which has a brain drain, which is losing population every year yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, Like they're, they just had the largest decrease in population in 50 years True. last year. So everybody's leaving Portugal, or a lot of people leaving Portugal, because there's not a lot of opportunities for Portuguese. And Portuguese companies, they don't pay a lot. Paychecks are shit in Portugal. I mean, the, the minimum wage or something, or the, the, the average wage is something like 700 euros a month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you look at the comparison with the rest of Europe, this is an East European country. It's, level. Dude, like, I I, know, I lived in Germany and coming back to Portugal, it's that's the biggest you know pain for sure. It's really it's really bad and and there's a lot of reasons to go into why this is the case, but the, it comes down to um, that Portugal kind of needs foreigners and the government yeah. has stated that repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And um, so you realize that the the, the government was one one of foreigners. There were people setting up their base in Portugal. And then uh, what What did you decide to do? Did you try to like see, okay, I want to do the same? Yeah, so I set it up too. And I, I was really scared because I was like, this is going to be like a legal minefield. I got a lot of lawyers, uh, immigration advisors, tax advisors to all go through the through my setup. And they were all like, yeah, this is legal. This is good. Um, and, mm -hmm. and then I kept getting people asking me like, hey, I also want to do this. I also want to register in Portugal. I want to move right. to Portugal. And I was like, ah, interesting. Like, this is like has a little bit to do with COVID because it's it was hard to go to Bali. It was hard to go to Asia, to all those places in where nomads normally go, like Thailand and Bali. It's hard to go there because COVID was, you know, all the borders were closed kind of. So a lot of people that usually go to Bali, Asia, Thailand, they would end up in Portugal. It's like mm -hmm. a new kind of scene of nomads. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe I can make like a type form and like try resell these services or like refer my immigration advisors to these people that wanted for like some money. I right. made this type form, got some customers. Um, and then like in November, I made a whole landing page for it. Uh, and I launched it. Well, I accidentally launched it on Twitter. I just made a photo of my laptop on my bed working on it. <laughs> I wrote like POV, uh, building an immigration as a service startup. Oh, yeah, and it went it, viral yeah. and everybody suddenly signed up and there was you know, 500 signups in a month. And um, all right, so this yeah. is something that I really need to ask because for me it's amazing. So I, I understand the, the idea phase. So you identify a problem and uh, a problem that you own, you have yourself. So it's much easier for you to understand the problem and how to yeah. fix it and so on. And that's definitely a great way to to bootstrap a, a project. 
But then the launching part is something that I don't fully understand because you had the same, for instance, with Digital Nomad, right? Or with the Nomad List, with yeah. The Nomad list, sorry, with yeah. the Nomad List. You just decided to, oh, my website then was up uh, because of some uh, Nginx config. Yes. And suddenly right. I had thousands of people. I was like, no, that's not how it happens to me, you know? Like for me, I will share it with thousands or like in Reddit everywhere and I yeah. don't get enough people. So, and I, I was reading your book and I can see that you have, you focus a lot on launching and you say that launching is overlooked. So hmm. what is that? Like, what is the difference between your launch and, and my launch? Why does it yours work so much better than, than mine? Well, so people people say like, oh, look, he, he already has followers. And I think it's true. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't true in the beginning. And no one this also went viral. So I think it might have to do with the topic, like remote work and digital nomad stuff is, is kind of has been hot since 2014 has been it's a kind of exciting topic mm -hmm. and so there's this thing with like you have reality you have things that are happening and companies that are being made now and then you have people's brain and their secrets and their inside of their brain what they're actually thinking right and you want to be in the time where a lot of people are are secretly thinking the same thing yeah but they're not saying or doing it yet How do you know? Well, exactly. I have a lot of times where I'm in a group setting and I will be like, for example, you're, you're, you're meeting all these people and you're having dinner and stuff, but you're really tired, for example. You're like tired of walking mm -hmm. all day. But nobody says that. Everybody's like, kind of like, and then I say like, you know, I think I'm really tired. Like maybe we should just like chill somewhere or I should go sleep. And I was like, yeah, actually me too. Like many times I... This is a really bad example. But actually, like many times, I I feel like I think things, and because I try to do radical honesty, I try to just say what I think. Yeah, it comes out, and then suddenly people are like, "Ah, yeah, I wanted to say the same thing, but I was like scared. It was like, you know, too crazy or something." Right. And I think it's like moving to Portugal. I mean, that's it. It's kind of crazy in a way. Like, let's move to Portugal and register <laughs> Portugal and pay tax there. And with Nomadlist, was same. Like, let's be you know let's move to all these cities in the world and just go yeah. live there for a while it was like so i think the trick is to because with nomad list i was observing that this was happening already i was in chiang mai and i saw like 20 to 30 40 people 40 nomads there living there right but it was very small now it's like thousands but i was observing that people were already doing something and mm -hmm. it was working for them but they were not normal people they were like a little bit weird people you know like They were right. strange. Like, I'm strange, I think. And then you need to observe, like, you need to try, like, is this a, is this a, like, fringe is the word, F-R-I-N-G-E. Like okay. a fringe thing, like a new thing that's, like, kind of frowned upon, you know. And then many This times... This is where intuition comes in, right? And, the, and the, I know that you kind of believe in intuition. Yeah, and yeah God, intuition. But like, Because many times when you think something, everybody else is thinking the same thing because we're all on the internet and we're all reading the same shit and we're all... Everybody watches porn. Everybody does things we don't talk about or, or reads, reads articles, you know. Like, actually, we have a collective brain and... But people are limited by the constraints of... of acceptable society right like right. you cannot just move to portugal it's outrageous you shouldn't do that right uh, yeah most people will, will think about it but say okay this is impossible you know this yeah they, like like uh, man I, i would love to move to portugal but 
you know, it would be unacceptable because I have my friends here and mm-hmm. I have my job here. How would my boss react? My boss doesn't let, accept that I work remotely. All these things, right? So thinking what, like this is quote, like what people do on the weekends or what nerds yeah. or something do on the weekends, everybody else will be doing in the week 10 years later or something. Yeah. That's a quote. <laughs> so like if you are um, doing something special and new, like, there's a lot of examples of this, like indie games, like people that were making indie games like in 2010 or something, or two, mm-hmm. and then it blew up. And but but if you're doing this, this is the problem. We've also I see in every scene, like music, startups, everything. People are always doing the same shit everybody else is doing, and it's gonna mm-hmm. not, it's gonna give you horrible results because you need to be on the edge of something new. You right. know? So you you think that your edge when you're launching something is not really your technique or of launching. Is more the product and the the audience. Uh, no, I think it's the market. To. I think it's the the market. You need yeah. to be you need to be tapped into the vein of 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 people's brain of people's... in the exact right time as well, right? Yeah, and obviously that goes wrong because I've launched over seventy products projects and they you know only three or four or something worked out. So mm-hmm. most of the times you're wrong, and so, but you need to try. And sometimes you're like, because I didn't expect this rebase to blow up like this, like. Now yeah. it's getting like 400, 500 applicants per month. And then at this rate, wow. we will have 10% of the Portuguese immigration market. All people moving to Portugal, 10%. You will have 10%. That's absurd. Because because like 60,000 yeah. 60, or 50,000 people move to Portugal a year. So it's, it's crazy. So my point Did is the like... Prime, prime Minister already reach out to you? <laughs> no, they, everybody asked me, but, but these governments <laughs> are so hard to reach. But uh, it's okay. I don't care. There's but, elections now. You could help. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I hope they don't change the the rules. That would ruin my business. But um, (laughs) that would be stupid. Yeah, TLDR. Most people are probably interesting and unique, but they are they again the same thing with kids that that in education system it removes their you know creativity. Same thing with people. Like if you say something crazy in your friend group, I had the same in Holland. I would say crazy stuff that I thought, and they're like, Peter. Don't say that. What the fuck are you talking about? That's not that's not uh, you know normal acceptable. thinking or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, acceptable. And and you know you need to let your brain think things. Yeah. Because they are interesting and they might be make yeah. great art. They might make great businesses. Think you know think differently is the whole concept, right? Think yeah. Don't don't be afraid of uh, of think differently. And you know if you take uh, also another example. Um, which which is Elon Musk, right? And uh, oh, same, yeah I, know, yeah. I know a lot of people might not like it, but you know, no, I love Elon Musk, and I don't yeah. understand why people don't like this guy because he's going to to Mars. Exactly, he's so, so that's exactly it. So it's he, a very, very, very strange side side guys now that people don't like Elon Musk. It's very strange, yeah. man. It's it it disturbs me. I mean, I think me. when when you reach a certain point, you will always have haters. But my point yeah. is that he thinks, okay, how cool would it be to have a really nice electric car? You know, and everyone's like, yeah. yeah, that's impossible. But he thinks, no, I mean, how cool would this be? Yeah, it's cool. Let's make it, you know. How cool would it be to click in a button and move to Portugal, you know? Yeah. Uh, and everyone like, oh, this is impossible. No, like, it's super cool, right? Like, yes, then let's build it. I mean, I didn't even know this was possible. So you need to, man, how do you explain this? So you have this whole, you have all these immigration advisors and they're doing everything like really like with emails and invoices and bank wires and stuff. And it's all really slow. And you need to have some assumption like, ah, I think let's just do this through Stripe. Let's just do uh, all the forms digital. Let's uh, 
like you need to you need to have some naive perception like that this is going to work out and that these yeah. immigration advisors or some of the people you work with are going to accept <laughs> that mm. you're doing all this stuff because they live in a completely different reality and it's just it's just you need to jump in the pool and try and it will probably mm. not work out and sometimes it does work out but and that's yeah. also the thing with like people trying this indie startup stuff is like they try once they will like work on a project for a year and then of course it doesn't work out because the odds are like three percent or four percent if you're mm. doing really good you need to try um, multiple things you need to try man yeah. i think you need to try like 20 30 times yeah and 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 also one thing that I, and from your book we can really see this you really know how to launch in each platform and how it how it works, how each platform works. You know, Reddit is different than Hacker News and, and Product Hunt and yeah. so on. So I think it's also really crucial for people to study the platform before launching, understanding the the people they are launching to. This is also, you know, oh, so people true, don't speak yeah. about it, but it's really crucial as well, right? Like the my biggest annoyance is people that are like thinking you can just, like you can write a tweet and then you can post it on Instagram and you can post it on TikTok and you can post it on Reddit. This is bullshit. They're so different. Like mm. something that works on Instagram doesn't work on Twitter, doesn't work on TikTok, doesn't work on, you know? Yeah. yeah, like Reddit, yeah. Reddit is, is completely anti-spam. So the only thing, the only way to leverage Reddit is to be, to give value, like to be a beneficial community member. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and then you might be able to get them to use your thing mm. and... Like asking for feedback, for example, or right. But you cannot just come in with look. I launched a startup. Nobody cares. You launched a startup. Average launch a startup. Nobody cares. It's yeah, not interesting. Yeah. It's it's annoying. It looks like spam. And um, yeah, it's funny because we live too much inside of our brain, and we are selfish by design, right? So we think that we are. We kind of all think that we are the center of the world somehow. Yeah. And we all think like everyone will care that I launch a startup. But then now put yourself in the other person's shoes, like. If someone says, I just launched a startup, whatever, would you actually care? Would you click? You know, I try to always do this exercise, but it's very hard. This, this great exercise. The, 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 the best thing you learn is like that. Like people who say like, I meet a lot of those people, like I'm going to build a billion dollar company. And uh, yeah. they're, they're so confident of their own thing. <laughs> and and what is the launch. idea? I'm not telling you the idea. <laughs> it's yeah, that's, that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then they launch and it completely nobody cares. And it, yeah. it, it barely goes... But this is good. This is a reality check because everybody thinks their shit is special and it's not. You yeah. need to get stuff out of the door so your first product will fail probably and your second also and your third also. <laughs> but <laughs> this gives you a reality check that yeah. what you make should actually be somewhat interesting, better or cheaper, right? Yeah. You need a better product or it needs to be cheaper products. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. And and uh, can you now this? better distinguish if a product will or not succeed before starting it with your experience? I focus a little bit more on like, not necessarily, but I, I like rebase. I know it's a, it's a money opportunity. Like it could make a lot of money. Right. So you start then, thinking about monetization immediately. Well, also, from also no, because I make enough money. Like now it's something like two to 3 million a year. Mm. So I, I don't, it's a crazy amount of money, by for, the way. For, but, for you almost, right? Like there's no, you don't have a lot of expenses, yeah. right? No, yeah, exactly. So it's it's insane money, and uh, and I barely That's spend really, it. It's, it's all it's all invested. <laughs> Dude, um, you should not say this. <laughs> well, it's on the fucking Twitter, right? It's on yeah, it's on my true, uh, true. It's, it's open. So it's more like a challenge to make a cool uh, new startup that 
yeah uh that works and but i also still make products that that don't have any monetization you know like uh mm -hmm. i made airline list like comparing yeah, airlines hood maps also but and recently airline list like, is fun because are, are you afraid of flying or not uh no but well i say a little bit i, I i'm not really super comfortable i i'm i'm more comfortable like i know the the, the odds of uh crash crash flying is really low but I'm more comfortable for my own like irrational fear if I'm in like the safest airline with the safest plane. Yeah, I'm, I, I was super afraid actually. Now I'm much better. I kind of overcame it. But when I was super afraid, having this filter, you know, that you have in your website, like safe airlines, no crashes, would you know just irrationally make me so much more comfortable. Yeah, but it's so irrational because like I drive a motorbike here in Thailand and it's like one in eighty or something you die. So and then <laughs> flying the worst airline I think is Nepal Airlines. And it's like one in a hundred thousand. So yeah, exactly. Yes. And if I go on a motorbike, I'm not scared at all, you know. So it's it's completely rational. But but it's nice to fly with like mm -hmm. I don't know, like Singapore Airlines, Emirates, Qatar, uh, with you know Airbus A350, yeah, uh, Airbus A380 is great. Um, yeah, seven two seven max. I mean, honestly, it's not great, and it's still is that a the weird one plane. with the crashes? The yeah, and it's still like it's not it. The plane doesn't fly without without software like it like yeah. i mean airbus planes also not but this whole plane is wrongly designed for eco purposes it's just not a good plane and yeah, yeah i don't think anybody should fly on it so <laughs> allegedly i don't want to get sued <laughs> so you build a website to kind of show the yeah. alternatives but the, like this website is not monetized so my i mean like the monetization aspect is more like i do think more about it um in the concept of like serious companies like rebase for example but I, I also think about the impact, right? Like, like now with Rebase, we have uh, Venezuelan families. Mm -hmm. uh, Venezuela is, is, you know, countries quite in ruins, mm -hmm. and in terms of like the the money and society and stuff. Yeah, and man, I had a friend from there, and it's crazy. He told me he was robbed eighteen times at gunpoint. Yeah, it's insane. How is it's it insane. possible? Yeah, it's absurd. Yeah. So, so it feels nice to be able to move people out of there help them and and like that was that's i think i'm the most proud of in the last year or something mm -hmm. like that this product is a i don't know it sounds so cliche right it sounds it's so not, cheesy it's but it's not cliche i think it's i mean it but might be cliche it's, but it's really important yeah yeah it feels really cool to it like it's not about money anymore for me but it feels really cool that this is a website that i made like a php script index yeah. of php is index of php is, is saving people from venezuela like, that's amazing. I don't know. That's the it's beauty of tech, cool, I, I would say. I, I totally yeah, agree. I think that's because yeah. you could do so many bad things with tech, like look at Facebook, all this data stuff, but you can also do really good things. And yeah. Yeah, it's just, and, and you, you don't need, you know, you can do it alone, solo on your laptop from the bed. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. And with coffee. And yeah. I'm still doing it after eight years. And you can, uh, you can change yeah. people's lives and you can leave the world better than you found it. And that's also my mission. Is that your mission? Yeah. Is that like your purpose somehow? life purpose yeah i feel that yeah yeah i feel it sounds again so cliche like i'm also not perfect i also make mistakes and i also like you can get rich but then you die you cannot bring your money yeah. into death you know so it's all make doesn't really make it's not useful legacy is also not that useful but it, i don't know it just it's a nice purpose to have to leave the world better than you found mm -hmm. it and that's no i, I totally as a i human. totally agree with you and it's the same i wrote something similar in indie hackers uh, recently because that's also my purpose um are, are you religious no i'm i guess i'm agnostic 
Right. Like Same, I'm, yeah. I, I, uh, my family's like, well, we're not practicing, but we grew up like Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, I keep meeting a lot of Roman Catholic people, like even in, in Asia, like the people I, mm. um, the girlfriends I had were Roman Catholic, but not on purpose. And the friends I have, a lot of them are <laughs> Roman Catholic. And when Roman Catholic is like a minority in Christianity, you know, most are Protestant, also in my country. So I think something it, with is, Roman is Catholic. Portugal Roman Catholic. Do you know this? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think it is, so, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think UK is Protestant, yeah. Holland's Protestant, but we were Roman Catholic. So, but I'm not. I'm agnostic. Like I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. What there is after death, mm -hmm. I don't. I, I, I probably believe in like that. You know, because I did mushrooms and and also the things you learn, like that everybody's connected and <laughs> that, that that maybe we're all one one person and one consciousness and right. You know, I think that's probably true or something Wait, but now i didn't I understand know. you did mushrooms and that's you came up with this i mean idea? that's kind of the, the feelings you have when you do like uh right. you know the feelings of connectedness but i, I yeah. do feel the feelings of connectedness anyway so right. i don't really need drugs to open up so much but mm -hmm. it's um i don't know we're all probably the same person <laughs> you know the same consciousness <laughs> this is very I mean, that sounds logical to me It's a very interesting uh, video about uh, from Kurz Gesagt. I don't know if you watch it on YouTube. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they have a, a video just about the theory that in the end we are all the same person. Uh, it's a very interesting theory. Yeah. I've never. Yeah, maybe like think about it. Maybe we're all one person, and and that's God. And yeah. And, and then you also get to the, you know simulation theory or like multidimensionalism. Oh, where, I hate those. I don't want to speak about that. It freaks me you out. You know, yeah, where like there's like infinite dimensions with yeah. different realities and. Man, and if you start thinking about it, it feels kind of lonely. You're like, oh, I'm in my own dimension, stuck yeah. now. And and you know Ricky Morty hmm. on Netflix. Uh, yeah, 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 oh, it's, yeah. It's amazing. They explore exactly this. That it becomes everything yeah. becomes pointless because there's you know infinite exactly, use. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, so you are agnostic, and you think that maybe there are some things, maybe there isn't. The the reason why I ask is, um, again, I also same very similar. Like Roman Catholic family, not not. Uh, They don't practice that much. Yeah. But uh, I, I kind of slowly lost my connections with religion. And I, I think that, unfortunately, there's nothing after. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I'm also agnostic, but I, I don't know. But, you know, that just gives me more purpose of actually doing something that goes yeah. beyond, you know, having money. Actually, doing a little contribution to the world is something that really motivates me. And I, it's not cliche. I, I totally, I think it's a great uh, mission for life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of cliches are just like true, I guess, because they're simple. And yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you need to do something with this life. Like you can sit in your room and do nothing. Um, I mean, why? Why all, do you need to? <laughs> you can be all yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all kind of like meaningless if you start thinking in that way. But I, I get happy from being active yeah. doing stuff like Same. also i go to the gym for example that makes me happy mm -hmm. i see friends i i like to be in a flow state where i work on things that makes me happy and mm -hmm. um but everything is the same value everything is like you know everything is valueless in a way and but maybe in a good way it's all the same money doesn't exist you know what i mean like everything is there's no better and worse it's all nothing because Entropy will destroy everything yeah. in a million yeah. years and the sun will explode. So nothing matters and everything you build up is goes away. Every relationship you have, you know, it's not permanent. Mm -hmm. 
everything dies and we are getting super know, dark <laughs> no but it's a, it's also really not dark because that shows impermanence and impermanence if you accept that it's it's quite beautiful and it's you shouldn't fight it you should just uh, embrace it and and that's that's reality and you know that's also i guess why people start living in the moment because they realize impermanence you know mm-hmm. it's just like you're just just like Eckhart Tolle is like power of now that's it just power of now like history doesn't exist future doesn't exist just now right. you're here you're here now um i think ramdas the buddhist uh, mm-hmm. or the, the yogi in india says that like uh, be here now that's it Power of now, and, be here and now. is this also do you think that this is the mentality that also helps you succeed because it allows you to think outside of the box and say okay let's move to portugal because <laughs> i'm doing it now or let's uh, go yeah to i'm thinking a way because because if you if you cling to permanence and to you know things and to people you cling to everything you try to hold everything tight so you don't lose it you're scared of lose loss right yeah fear of loss and that's really unhealthy i think because it's 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 trying to give you certainty, right? Right. Like cling to people, cling to things, cling to buying a house, cling to all this, and it's essentially probably your fear of death. I think, mm-hmm. which we all have, it's normal, but it's fighting impermanence. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna collect all this stuff and hoard it because I, um, then I can keep it permanently forever. Right. But that's so moving moving to another place or nomad, you learn a lot about impermanence because you cannot carry a lot of stuff. You have a backpack, you cannot buy a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're you understand yeah. what is really important, right? Like the, this minimalist approach, right? Y- yeah, and and yeah, and and impermanence, just like that right. that you know, and so and it gives you more flexibility to change up your life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it gives you a more healthy approach to relationships because a lot of people are stuck in relationships or marriages which don't work anymore, mm-hmm. and if you believe in you know abundance and, and impermanence and you you're okay you're accept like okay this relationship doesn't work anymore it's fine it's healthy to end this yeah. and to you know i think people uh, are also very afraid to leave their comfort zone uh, that's, think that's the whole also, thing because and, and, you don't know yeah. what's in the other side right so uh, okay you leave your your wife and maybe you find another wife that is better or husband yeah or husband or you just uh, can have be lonely forever right uh, yeah I, I think a lot of men and women after divorce at like 60 or 70 or 50 even, and you, they also go nomad. You meet them and they have a very, you know, healthy mindset about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, like we just talked about, like this kind of impermanent mindset. And I'm not saying you, sh- like, of course you should be in a relationship as long as you can, of course. But the the fear of loss is, is not a good uh, thing. I think. Yeah. yeah, definitely. We are running out of time here, and I think we could definitely speak about and for this for for a long time. And I think it's really interesting. I love to get more philosophical. Next but, time um, we can do three hours. Yes, <laughs> we can do this. Like Joe, Joe Rogan, exactly. Joe Rogan, just you know, speak about everything. But uh, I think there's a lot of things we we got to learn more about. Also, your your mindset, your philosophy. We you gave some cool lessons for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs as well. Uh, we end up not speaking that much about the effect of rebase in Portugal which is something that is really interesting. So we could speak about this maybe in, a, in the next, another session. Uh, as a last, last question, what are the technologies that, or markets that you are most excited about? I'd say, I, I do think the whole decentralized stuff is interesting, like crypto, um, Web3. I think most of it is bullshit, but I think there's definitely fundamental concepts that are really 
uh, will be the future like um the decentralized right concepts seem like censorship resistant stuff like look at social media posts being deleted everywhere and censored look at people's accounts being frozen and right. uh, look at the overreaching arm of like like countries like the united states that are just they want to remove russia from international banking via mm -hmm. swift and stuff this is all not good and it shouldn't be there shouldn't be power like that existing and i think it it people again autonomy autonomy is really big trend i mm -hmm. think and it also has to do with decentralization. So I think definitely it will be interesting. I really think the technology is absolutely not there yet. I, like Bitcoin is great. It works really well. But like the, the, the smart contracts are way too slow, uh, too expensive and stuff. Yeah. But that's it's, it is very interesting technology and it will definitely only, only improve, I think. Yeah. And there might be some bubbles and some bursts, but in five, 10 years, I think a lot of stuff will be decentralized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm also super excited to see what is going to come up from there. Peter, thank you yeah. so much for uh, taking the time. I will uh, link Rebase and or I guess your Twitter profile in the show notes. Thank you so much for, for your time. It, really, it was really nice. Thanks for having me. And see you next time for the three-hour episode. Yes. <laughs> you heard him. There will be a next interview to go deeper into these philosophical and uh, bootstrapping topics. If you are new to Want to Be Entrepreneur, this is the podcast about bootstrapping a company. I narrate my own journey and interview other entrepreneurs from all walks of life, all levels of scale about their own journeys. And I've been learning a lot and I'm sure that will too so make sure to go to wannabe-entrepreneur.com and check out all the other interviews and episodes i have for you i don't do any advertisement so if you want to support this podcast and you want it to continue you can buy me a coffee the link will be in the description or you can join our virtual co-working space for bootstrappers a place where we basically hang out we are all entrepreneur friends like-minded people and we help each other build our own project so i would love to see you there it has a cost of four euros or 4.6 dollars per month besides that giving a great review sharing this with your friends it would really take this podcast a long way this was another wannabe entrepreneur see you next time